Hi, and welcome back to another episode. Today, we have a very special guest. So if you follow this podcast and you've listened to some of our earlier episodes, you'll hear about me talking about my high school friends and how we all ended up in different fields and career paths. And today, I have one of my very, very close friends from high school, Sonia Bath. Oh my god, hello. Hello, real world. I'm so happy to be here today. Truly such an honor for me. Thank you for having me. But Sonia has always been a very admirable person in my life. I think in high school, she definitely stuck stuck out as someone who is very passionate, it seemed, about medicine. (laughs) And I'm really glad that she has gotten where she is right now because I definitely feel like you deserve it. But before, I guess, I spoil too much. Or I guess if you've clicked on this episode, you know what we're going to be talking about. Do you want to introduce a bit about what you do and where you're at right now? Yeah, of course. That was so nice, Carol. So my name's Sonia. As Carol mentioned, I'm in my second year of medical school at McMaster. I did my undergrad at McMaster as well. So I guess I'm kind of on my way to becoming a Mac lifer at this point. And yeah, I went to high school with Carol. I grew up in Oakville. It was pretty good time back in the day and yeah now I'm here in Waterloo which is really fun I'm liking Waterloo a lot. What are you doing here in Waterloo right now? Yeah so right now I'm on my family medicine placement so I'm here for two weeks at a local primary care providers clinic and I'm kind of just learning the ins and outs and day-to-day of operating the clinic and meeting patients and it's been really fun so far. So I don't really have any close friends that went into medicine or health science. So even before you were coming, I would ask Carol questions. <laughs> I would be like, what is Sonia's experience in med school like or things like that? I've always just been curious because I feel like being in engineering and tech is a very big bubble. So I only know what the life is like for people who work in very similar jobs or areas as me. So yeah, we thought it would be really interesting to hear more about what your experiences are currently like and what they were like before on your journey to be being a doctor mm-hmm. and I guess currently being a med student. Yeah, wow, no, it's such an honor to be here. Hopefully I don't <laughs> bore you guys to tears, but you know, I could talk a little bit about it for sure. Well, I guess to maybe provide some context and to start off the conversation, I know this answer, but for the audience to know, what personally made you want to pursue medicine? And do you remember a specific moment when, I guess, you decided on that career path? Yeah, that's a great question. I could give you my interview prepared. I will not give you that answer. So I think I was honestly one of those kids who grew up and was like, I want to be a doctor from a very young age, as embarrassing as that is. I think I kind of started off with, I really wanted to find a cure for cancer and for diabetes, just because those were kind of the ailments that my grandparents were going through at the time. And then as I grew older, you know, I found out about, I think, oncology. That was sort of the first main area that I found an exposure to being a doctor. and. I really liked that a lot when I was only in grade 8 and then I think after that I spent one of my summers in high school volunteering at Princess Margaret Cancer Center and I just loved being in the hospital and it was like kind of a long commute I guess you could say from going I guess from Oakville to Toronto every day I think it was like around like an hour and a half to get there every day but it was so worth it and I think I was really lucky to have found something that I was so happy to be doing that then. And then, yeah, that kind of started my long journey of trying to get into medicine and go Mm -hmm. from there. And then I think along the way, I definitely changed. I don't think I'm nearly as interested in oncology as I once was, but I think that passion still stays there strong of just, you know, it's honestly really a honor to be able to do a career where I can serve other people every day and then get remunerated for that. Oh, it sounds like you're pretty certain about what you wanted to do since you're pretty young. Were there moments when you were like you doubted whether or not you actually want to do it or like if you made the right decision going down the path or were there moments where you're like I don't want to do this anymore? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that 
along the way, I think I'm someone who's very stubborn. Mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to do it, and then mm -hmm. I just set my sights in that, and I didn't really think about, honestly, the other options available. And also, oh. there were so many careers I knew I wouldn't be good at. Like, I could never do engineering the way you guys do it. I don't think I have the creativity there for that, or even for business, I think I don't have the right mind suited towards that, even though I find both really interesting. But I think sort of the moment where I questioned whether medicine was for me was actually when I got the interview, which is not necessarily a great time to begin questioning it. I think it was sort of just feeling like I'd never thought, oh, what if there's a better career option out mm. there for me? Mm. And it kind of felt like I was pursuing my childhood dream. And I was wondering whether it was just that, like was it my dream I had in childhood or my oh. dream I was having now? Uh -huh. And mm. then that kind of set me down a bit of an existential pathway as well during that time. And I just talked to a lot of different people, I think. Even, honestly, my mom was a really big inspiration at that time oh. because she dropped out of nursing when she was in her first year of university mm -hmm. and I feel like you know back then especially for someone to do that that was something that was a pretty big mm -hmm. decision that was hard to make mm -hmm. and then yeah that was kind of my moment where I was really questioning what I was going through but I think I kind of just persisted with it and felt you know that I was really grateful to have the opportunity to interview anyways and that I figure it out along the way and then mm -hmm. yeah I'm really glad that I stuck it out in the end but for sure I think everyone has those doubts uh -huh. all the time. Yeah. Did you question it when you got the interview because it seemed like that was a very like fine or like that concretely I guess would set you You're, down that yeah path. set you down that path yeah exactly because I think for so long it felt like something that was so unattainable mm -hmm. like it was like something in the distance like mm -hmm. something that I was just continuing to work for because mm -hmm. I didn't really grow up with anyone being in medicine around me. Like, mm -hmm. I don't have any family members, really, mm -hmm. who were in the field. So it was mm -hmm. always just something that I was working towards. And then mm -hmm. having it so close was also yeah. almost like, oh, my goodness, like, what if I actually accomplish it? Uh -huh. Yeah, so you're exactly right. Like, I didn't really think of the consequences uh -huh. of it that much. Uh -huh. Very interesting. At a very high level, for in case people aren't familiar with the process at all, like, what are the different like steps you have to go through to become a doctor. What are all the different types of school and other things you have to do? So I think what's really interesting about medical school in Canada is that each school kind of values something a little bit different from the other. So like for example, for McMaster's medical school, they don't look at your extracurricular activities at all before the interview. It's only composed of sort of three different criteria. So there's the MCAT, the MCAT is this crazy eight hour long test that we oh write. God, eight hours? Yeah, long. it's a long exam. Whoa. How many breaks um, do you get? Do you, you get, get for lunch? Uh, yeah, I think you get, oh, it's been so long. I think you get like 30 minute breaks, mm. uh, like a big 30 minute break and then 10 minute breaks in the middle, but wow. it's a very long test day. Oh yeah, God. it was, it's something that I think every pre-med really cringes when they hear the uh -huh. word because it's like kind of the rite of passage. You yeah. dedicate a whole summer studying for it. Wow. And a lot of the time people are, doing research and other work on top of it, which is so right. admirable because mm -hmm. I feel like studying for the MCAT was a full-time job. That's mm -hmm. kind of how I was fortunate enough to be able to treat it like that. So yeah, so a lot of schools will look at the MCAT. You know, some schools will take it as a cutoff. You need to like get a certain score in mm -hmm. four sections. So the four sections they kind of test. So you have like one that's generally more of a biology section, one that's more of a chemistry and then a bit of physics mixed in their section, one that's more of like a psychology and then one that's cars which is critical analysis and reasoning skills i believe mm -hmm. and that one's probably the most interesting section on the mcat it's basically where you have these passages and then you read through them and then you have to answer questions and the questions are based on the content that's in the passage sometimes they can be super abstract though like what's mm -hmm. the mood of the passage or what's the tone the author's trying oh, to convey yeah i think that what, can what do you think they're trying to i guess measure yeah, you know, I think that a lot of us really wonder that same question <laughs> because it's so different from the other three sections. Uh -huh. I think it's probably measuring more so how you're able to problem solve and think through things, which I guess is really important as a healthcare provider because a lot of the time there are a number of different options, like differential diagnoses, I guess that's what we call them okay. for what a certain like presentation could be, like mm -hmm. what illness it could be. Mm -hmm. And I think theoretically it's testing that but in a very abstract and far <laughs> off way uh -huh. um, I think it's really hard because that section can be 
the cause of a lot of difficulty for a lot of people, right? Because you can't study for it the same way as you study for the yeah. other three sections. It's not like memorizing anything. Exactly. And then I think sometimes like some of my qualms I have with it is that it's not necessarily the most fair. Like let's say for people who have English as a second language, like mm. obviously it's going to take a lot more time for them to like read through the passage, uh, right? Yeah. So there's pros and cons, I guess, to having it. But mm. yeah, so those are the four sections. And then some schools, they just take a cutoff of those sections. Some schools, they competitively weigh it. Some schools only look at some sections and not others. And then your GPA also is typically something that's important. So you do an undergraduate program. You know, I think you can probably do any undergraduate program really, like either in Canada or the States or even abroad. I think you just, I believe you have to be a permanent resident or a citizen to apply. And then after that, you just kind of go through an interview process. Some schools like will look at extracurriculars. So mm-hmm. yeah, all in all, it's kind of a lot because you're balancing mm-hmm. school, doing really well in that with also balancing trying to be a well-rounded person with balancing mm-hmm. studying for the exam. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a whole lot of different components kind of mixed in there. So yeah. Sounds like a really stressful time to be worrying about all these different getting all these different aspects right yeah i know for sure i mean i know it's probably like this for most if not all grad school programs that they're Mm -hmm. evaluating things Mm -hmm. so differently i think it's part of why i think pre-med culture in specific though can be so toxic because when there are so few spots but so many talented Mm -hmm. people who deserve to get in it can really feel like it's either going to be you or like i don't know the person in your lab who gets in Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of the time that breeds a lot of the toxicity that we Mm -hmm. see so yeah hard process what was the undergrad experience like for you and do you think getting into med school basically dictated what you and a lot of other people did throughout undergrad? Yeah, so my undergrad program was in health sciences at McMaster, and I feel like already based on that, you can kind of tell that it's known as the um, pipeline to medicine, Mm -hmm. for better or for worse. Do you know what the percentage, this acceptance percentage is for med school from health side? For med school from health side, I think it's honestly really quite high. I think it might be like even as high as 50 percent like maybe don't quote me on that Mm -hmm. necessarily I think the number's always changing but that's what I remember it was like and I think that's a very good thing don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. but I also think it's hard because a lot of people in health sciences who you know maybe didn't necessarily want medicine going in I feel like they ended up feeling pressured towards doing it because Mm -hmm. when almost everyone in your class is going towards one thing you might feel like you're not doing the right path if you're also not so I think like I'm fortunate in the fact that I was already geared towards medicine when I was applying to the program like a lot Mm -hmm. of people but Mm -hmm. like I really like have empathy for the people who ended up switching their careers along the way due to pressures which I feel like happens but yeah from health sciences I think like every, I guess, pre-med undergraduate program, there can be its toxicity there, but mm-hmm. I think there are also a lot of really good people in there too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people who are just the product of their environment. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think they would necessarily be sort of, I guess, as conniving or in the same way if they were in, you know, a program where they were more guaranteed to get mm-hmm. into medical school. But yeah. yeah, I think in some ways it was hard to make friends because mm-hmm. I felt like I myself had trust issues and I was scared oh. of sort of what that would be like sometimes there were things where people would like send answers for example in the group chat that weren't right and they did that on purpose yeah like I remember when I found out that happened I was like shocked and I feel like that was like a real glimpse into the world but then also there are people who would like send the right answers Mm -hmm. and who were like this Whoa. is the way it is. Like I see so. what you mean now by trust issues. <laughs> yeah, it's wow. hard. It, was, it was hard. I really don't envy any pre-med out there right now. It's wow. it can be really tough. Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, like it was definitely possible to find good people within the program and yeah, like any pre-med program, you just have to find the right people because you definitely need that to get through it, I feel like. Uh-huh. Other than the competitiveness aspect, do you feel like in undergrad, being around people who were going for the same thing and also learning more about material that was related to medicine. Do you feel like your passion for medicine grew or changed at all? I think it changed in the sense that I realized that oncology wasn't maybe the only route out there and that 
I feel like I was really fortunate to go to school in Hamilton and see sort of a lot of the issues that face that specific city. Mm -hmm. Like before that, I feel like I grew up kind of in a bit of a bubble. Carol would know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, and then going to Hamilton, I feel like I was exposed to a lot more of sort of the problems that we see within society, like especially mm -hmm. just with addiction and people who are unhoused. University was a really good chance, I think, for everyone because you were able to get more involved in causes that you cared about mm -hmm. and you were able to have more exposure just to other people's life experiences too. Mm -hmm. So I think that definitely helped grow my passion for medicine and for wanting to do it and kind of having more reasons for why it would be mm -hmm. a good career fit for me. Mm -hmm. And then being surrounded by other people who wanted it. Well, I think there was definitely an inherent benefit to that because if you're surrounded by people who also want the same thing I feel like it can help you feel more motivated towards it and you mm -hmm. have their like people helping you and I can't deny that there are resources that exist within health side that help you to get into medical school there are these sort of these rules called the can meds rules and they kind of outline what it makes to be a good physician and mm. I remember in health side that was something that we all knew about we all knew oh we need to incorporate these when we're talking about our extracurriculars but then when I was helping someone with their application who didn't go to health side they had no idea what they were and mm -hmm. I feel like that was like such an example oh. of how sort of your program can really be a privilege in and of itself mm -hmm. but yeah I'm sure you guys can also experience yeah. that too mm -hmm. sort of going to Waterloo and having a lot of opportunities too. Mm -hmm. but. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you have really altruistic motivations or like you really want to help the world and help other people in terms of like your intentions for going into medicine. Do you think that was or do you think that's the case for a lot of other people like around you now or before or do you think there was a lot of people who are doing medicine because of like parents or like for the money or prestige? Mm, yeah, I've you know, I honestly have also grappled with that question a lot. I really wondered that what I've realized is that maybe there was one point in our lives like I feel like maybe in high school actually I feel like mm -hmm. it was a really big thing to go to medical school and become a doctor to like, you know, do it for the cloud, yeah. do mm -hmm. it for the family, etc. But I think as the years go by, you have to dedicate more time and more of yourself to it, that it gets to a point where you can't just be doing it for that reason or else mm -hmm. I think you would literally burn out and you would not find any fulfillment in it at all. Because at the end of the day, I think, you know, when it comes to making money, like I do think of course doctors do make quite a bit of money. They are quite a, like the privileged half of the society, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily like the fastest way to make money mm -hmm. at all because you're incurring a lot of debt before you start seeing earnings. And yeah. It's a lot of sort of, like I said, your life that you're giving up. So I would say at this point in medical school, no, I would say that honestly, pretty much everyone I know probably has like those true intentions. Mm -hmm. And that's good because mm -hmm. if you didn't, I think it would be so easy to get burnt out easier mm -hmm. than it already is. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. How long is the whole process on average, would you say, to, I guess, become a doctor? From, I guess, starting from after you graduate <laughs> high school. Yeah. So there's undergrad. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then med school for how many years? So medical school is three years if mm -hmm. you go to McMaster or Calgary, and then four years at all the other Canadian mm -hmm. schools. Mm -hmm. The other really cool thing about my class that I love is that there are so many people with non-traditional backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So those are people who entered not straight out of undergrad mm -hmm. and we have someone in our class who was a lawyer before someone who's an author people who oh, were nurses a lawyer before. yeah like it's a lot of school it yeah. is right i have yeah. a lot of respect for that no it's so cool like and people who like did their masters in like so many different neat areas like mm. people who did like public health masters or global health and, yeah yeah i don't know all these really cool areas mm -hmm. there's even someone who was like a musician i believe before so wow yeah i guess I, that kind of shows like how non-linear medical mm -hmm. school path yeah. can be which is yeah. good I think it's important that we like create space because I think it creates just a more diverse group of doctors which is better because it better reflects the patient population mm -hmm. too but yeah so your years of schooling like you said and then after that you can do residency so residency can be two years if you're a family doctor or up to five if you're doing like a specialty and sometimes even longer if you're doing like maybe more of a surgical specialty or mm -hmm. a fellowship but mm. in residency you are getting paid so mm. I guess that's a little bit different from the school sense. Mm -hmm. It's just not very much money. Like, I don't think um, a lot of people outside the medical world really know about this, but a lot of the time it works out to be, like, minimum wage, if that. Oh, wow. So, yeah. What are you doing exactly during residency? So 
by the time you're in residency, you have your MD mm-hmm. and you're like able to fully practice as a doctor, but they mm-hmm. call it more interning because you're still being supervised by people called attending. So you're able to make prescriptions and do a lot of things that basically an actual doctor would do because you are a doctor. Mm-hmm. But I guess you're technically still studying because you still have to pass sort of another final exam, a <laughs> royal college exam in that specialty. So mm, wow. I see. So in the case of the fastest path to medicine, that's still so like three plus three plus two. So that's still like eight years. Yes. If exactly. everything goes like really smoothly and you do like take the shortest path. Exactly. Wow, it's crazy. <laughs> years. Yeah. Still quite a while. So yeah. most people would be like 26 or 27 by the time they finish, right? I would say, what is the average age that people usually finish? I would say most people are like in their late 20s or, mm-hmm. or, or around 30, early 30s. Yeah, who took the traditional pathway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not about when you thought about that like i guess even now but especially earlier on like thinking like oh i'm gonna be in school and doing residency for this long like i'm not gonna be able to like fully start my career until i'm in my like maybe late 20s at the earliest did that like was that a scary thought to you or was it something that you were like okay with well, back then, I really used to like school a lot. I don't know if I can say the same now. Uh-huh. <laughs> back then, I was thinking it would be almost like a bit of a comfort bubble, you know, no. being in school for a long time, I can kind of defer the real world and making mm-hmm. those hard okay. choices. Mm. Now, though, I really can see the sort of cons <laughs> of thinking that way, too, yeah. and sort of, you know, how it's eventually important to start, you know, living your life and continuing that, which is why I think work-life balance is such a big thing that they talk about in medical mm-hmm. school. If I had known as much as I do now about the whole process, I still think I would have done it, but I think it would definitely be a bit more discouraging in that mm. way, yeah. But not to say that there aren't a lot of really good things as well. Yeah. It's just a hard profession for sure. Yeah. I think my like my mom definitely has more like traditional views on this. She wanted me to go into med ideally in an ideal <laughs> world, but then she was also like as a I guess as a girl going into med, she's like you're going to be stuck in school for so long and then by the time you graduate like that's when people start having like get getting married and having that's kids, so right? True. So she was like it's so much harder being a doctor and a medical student as a girl because you either like maybe delay like those parts of your lives life if you want that or you like it kind of gets in the way of your career so that was like one of the reasons she was like if you were a boy I would have pushed harder (laughs) for you to go into medical school but she's like I guess I I can see the cons being a girl and like having I don't know just not being able to start a family until way later because of school yeah no your mom's very right for saying that because Mm -hmm. I remember I think within like the first two months of school we had this panel discussion that all of us were mandated to go to and it was by these practicing physicians and it was about just I think it was something like life after medicine Mm -hmm. and one of them went on and started sort of talking about how oh basically like the best time to have a kid is in residency because you get paid maternity leave and then other and then if you do it outside of residency then you don't and uh-huh. it was just a very stressful talk yeah. because I feel like it really dawned on a lot of people, including yeah. myself, definitely, yeah. that, oh my goodness, it's like a ticking time bomb. Like, do I need <laughs> yeah. to have kids if I'm in residency? That means I need to be prepared to have kids in the next, like, three to five years. <laughs> yeah. And it was really stressful, I yeah. think. And, you know, I don't think that's necessarily true at uh-huh. all. I think at the end of the day, like, people can figure it out. Mm. But, yeah, that's not to say it's not definitely much more of yeah. a struggle to think about. Yeah. Do you feel like the ratio between females and males are pretty equal or balanced in med school or even in undergrad? Okay, so in my undergrad, we skewed so heavily towards girls. Like, I think it was like, oh, I want to say like almost 70-30. Really? really interesting, yeah. So my theory is that health science is like application. It's all about like self-reflection. I think you have to really be in touch with yourself and like maybe you have to have like a certain level of like, I don't know, emotional like reactivity or like oh, a maturity. That's true. 
that honestly I think like as a society we like limit boys to have because you know masculinity and all that whatever that's my working theory. at a later time for them exactly not when they're 17 yeah exactly that's my working theory but in medical school we have it's honestly, I believe, and also in favor of girls at McMaster's. Oh. So, look at it's STEM, really yeah. making it happen. Yeah. It's great to see. Uh-huh. It's really cool. Oh. Are there a lot of couples in medical school, or are is it most common for doctors to date other doctors? So, there are quite a few people who, in my class, like, entered medical school or during medical school got married. So, oh, that's really interesting. Wow. Yeah, just because I think... A lot of the time, people have, like, entered in long-term relationships or maybe, you know, again, like, the non-traditional pathways. Like, maybe they have a partner through that. Mm -hmm. There are even people who have kids, which is really interesting, too, which is so respectable. I don't know. It's already so hard to do it, like, just counting on myself. I can't Uh imagine also having people to care for that's so impressive some mm-hmm. people tell me oh i really want to date someone in medicine mm-hmm. like they have to be medicine and other people oh, will tell me i could not date someone in medicine like that's my criteria <laughs> and i think it goes both ways but i guess on the other end of things at least you'd have someone who would understand the struggles i feel like yeah i feel it's probably similar for both of you as well right i do think it is nice to have common ground or common understanding and not having to like explain kind of the context behind everything mm-hmm. you talk about but I think it's also interesting when they work in such a different field to learn from each other and, like, Mm. the work that you do. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just imagining, like, because of the amount of time you guys spend in terms of, like, through the eight years, like, you're surrounded by basically people who want to pursue the same career and same path. Like, the likelihood of meeting someone is maybe higher that's going to end up doing the same thing compared to, like, us. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, at this point, I think most of my friends are, like, people who are in the medical field, except for, of course, you know, like, friends from high school, like Carol, I feel Mm. like, other than that, I think it's very easy to get, Mm -hmm. like, sort of sucked into Mm -hmm. people who you're with all the time. So there's, like, a med school or medicine bubble, you would say, that you entered in university? Oh, for sure, yeah, I think... It started as a health side bubble that was like a pseudo-medicine bubble, and then now it's really become a medicine bubble. I think mm. it's just really hard, honestly, like at this point, especially in our training, where, you know, it's pretty stressful and the hours are a bit longer. Yeah. So it's hard kind of to maintain relationships when people don't have that sense of understanding mm-hmm. that it's just really busy yeah. right now, mm-hmm. and they're also just really busy and tired and things like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. What does your, like, day-to-day look like at med school? Yeah, I think that answer really changes. It's very different from what it was six months ago to Uh what it was now. So in med school, there's sort of, like, you kind of separate into, like, two phases. You have pre-clerkship. Depending on your school, it's, like, around, like, the first first year to first two years Mm -hmm. and in that time you're just going to class all the time Mm -hmm. you sometimes you have clinical experiences but they're just more so here and there like I think our first clinical experience we had was we were just at a family medicine clinic we went there six times and we had like the option to do sort of shadowing electives throughout but that was a lot more just like typical school so did it feel pretty similar still to undergrad I would say it did, yeah. It honestly was really similar, especially because McMaster does something called PBL. Do you guys have PBL? No. What does that stand for? Problem-based learning. Mm. So it's basically where there'd be like a patient case and we would set objectives as a group for like what we want to explore about the patient. And then we would have like a physician who would supervise us as well Mm -hmm. and then provide like their own comments and experience. Mm. And that's kind of how we learn. Like you learn through problems like the cases exactly yeah Yeah. that was sort of more so pre-clerkship but then nowadays with clerkship you're in the hospitals or in the clinics and you're on sort of these clinical placements all the time so it's really interesting because like every two weeks to four weeks your life changes like you're Mm. at a brand new hospital or a brand new like outpatient Mm. clinic and like you have like a new team of people and sometimes even like a new like let's say EMR that's like electronic medical record like the system you're like typing notes on things Mm -hmm. like that so 
it's very cool because on one hand you get to like experience all these different specialties when mm -hmm. you're probably you know you end up just choosing one and it's kind of your one chance to experience it mm -hmm. all but then on the other hand it can just be a bit draining because your life's constantly switching up yeah, every yeah. so often so sounds like a lot yeah. of learning new things all the time mm -hmm. for sure yeah. yeah I would say I think the most learning has definitely happened in clerkship I think mm -hmm. I don't know about you both but I'm someone who's always like learned more by doing than yeah. by reading so yeah I'm sure like both of you feel like you probably learn more on your co-ops than at your jobs versus mm -hmm. in the classroom I feel like it's very much the same way yeah mm -hmm. how do you get matched with these clerkships do you have to apply for them or do they does the school help match you up to these yeah so the school matches you up mm -hmm. you kind of at least at McMaster you kind of try to rank the orders in which you do things because sort of the underlying subtext of clerkship is that you're trying to prepare for residency, so you're trying to make a good impact on the preceptors, the physicians you're working oh. with. You're trying to hopefully maybe get letters out of the experience mm -hmm. uh -huh. or like positive experiences that they'll comment about on your right. transcript. So mm -hmm. in that sense, people try to rank them and put their rotations in an order that best matches what they think they would want to do specialty-wise. Mm -hmm. So it's stressful in the sense that it makes it feel like you have to know what you want to do a lot earlier and that can be really hard because without fully experiencing something yeah. how can you know you'd want it right oh. but theoretically it's not supposed to be like that <laughs> but I think that's the one thing with the three-year program like sure oh. you graduate early that's such a big plus in yeah. the long process but you also have what just feels like a lot less time to make a decision um, less less flexibility to explore Exactly, because you feel like, oh, I need to sort of have it planned out and figured out at this oh. point, which is hard. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. I feel like something I've realized, though, is that I think there are many good paths. Like, I think there are mm -hmm. multiple different, you know, options that someone could take in life. And I think mm -hmm. with sort of, I guess, residency <laughs> matching, it's the same way. But I think you just have to, like, take the path of least resistance. So, like, you have mm -hmm. to just go with the specialty that kind of just, like, flows the best and like many right. specialties could work for yeah, one person yeah. so Aww. that's kind of the way I'm trying to think about it to not overly yeah. stress myself out I don't know if you've like I'm sure you both have probably gone through processes like this too where yeah, yeah. it feels like there are yeah. many right things even like people are like that whole thing about oh like is there really one what right person, person out yeah. there that's literally <laughs> what I think about it like, <laughs> like you can be compatible with many specialties or as many people exactly but key life is you can't soulmate. believe in one soulmate that's literally <laughs> yeah. Carol do you believe in one soulmate no. Okay, good. <laughs> I, was gonna say I see you out here. Then. Yeah. Okay. I feel like that would that mindset would be very stressful. Yeah. Like, oh, I need to get this one thing. I think yeah. so too, for yeah. sure. <laughs> How many specialties do you get to try out through your clerkships? Oh, well, you get to try. I want to say you try between eight and ten for sure. Oh wow. Yeah, which is A really lot. cool. Yeah. Wow. Dating. It literally <laughs> is speed dating. That's exactly what it is. You're uh -huh. like dating these specialties for like up to four weeks uh -huh. and you're trying to figure out, oh, do I like them enough? Do I want to commit the rest of my life yeah. to them? That's literally what it is. Uh -huh. And then outside of that, you get electives. So those uh -huh. are, so we have core rotations. Those are ones everyone's required to do. Uh -huh. And then the electives are things you get to choose. So mm. you can theoretically try out many, many specialties yeah. through that because there are a lot of different specialties in medicine. Honestly, I feel like every day I'm learning about a subspecialty uh -huh. that I didn't even know about before. Yeah. So. Yeah. Whoa, I'm just thinking about this, realizing this now. Like, you're only in Waterloo for two weeks trying out the specialty. That's really not a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, is there enough time for you to know if you like it or not? Well, I feel like, you know, at some point, you kind of get it down to a science. Like, for me, mm. I try to just ask my preceptor a lot of questions and I think when I first started clerkship which honestly wasn't even that long ago like it was I think three months ago but oh. I feel like then I was um kind of more nervous to ask my preceptors questions like things about like their day-to-day -day life and honestly like whether they're happy because mm. you, you probably straight up ask them are you happy like, you know, a bit inadvertently <laughs> I try to ask but honestly like on the rotations I've been on you would be surprised but I've had quite a few people on the rotations like physicians tell me that if you would be happy not doing the specialty don't do it <laughs> so like, like they will they basically are not recommending it exactly which mm. I didn't think would happen I always oh. kind of thought it would be like you know when you're like go to like a university and they're like come here like yeah. come to our school right. like they'd say come to our specialty but no oh. 
so I appreciate that a lot of people are pretty honest yeah so I think without that honesty though it would be really hard to know uh-huh. because yeah in two weeks you can't know what it's like I feel like you're more so basing it on someone who spent like years of their life in that yeah so the clinics or the doctors that are participating in these to like provide advice and allow you to shadow them do they volunteer or is it sort of like mandatory at like a certain point after being a doctor for so many years you're supposed to like give back to the community in a way by helping out students and giving them experience yeah that's a great question i had that question too for a long time (laughs) okay so what i basically figured out is that if you work at an academic teaching site Mm -hmm. um, kind of have two options so you can participate more in doing research Mm -hmm. so like conducting research or more on the education side of things so if you're more on the education side of things then you're mandated to have students with you in that capacity Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of hospitals are teaching hospitals like grand river i believe is considered to be an academic hospital here for sure most hospitals in toronto are Mm. academic hospitals Mm -hmm. even like rural hospitals are considered mm-hmm, yeah. a lot of the time academic ones I'm too. assuming they like having students yeah. come in right because it's free labor in a way <laughs> yeah that they're I bright-eyed and inspired and, <laughs> working, have and yeah they get you to you guys to do so much work yeah. yeah I think so I used to think oh maybe we're like a bit of a hindrance to them we're like um, slowing their workflow but uh-huh. I think you know once we catch on especially I think the longer a student's there the more of sort of an asset they become uh-huh. but I think at the end of the day yeah these doctors who kind of engage in our act as preceptors they likely have to enjoy teaching Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of explaining that they have Mm -hmm. to do along the way because at the end of the day there's still so much that I feel like we don't know that we're still learning even though we've you know been learning in school for Mm -hmm. a year and a half two years it's Mm -hmm. honestly nowhere near enough time to learn medicine as a whole yeah yeah wow you guys I see like theory wise you guys study for a year and a half to two years yeah i believe roughly that's what the breakdown is oh i'm just thinking as like someone who didn't do like a health science undergrad that's not a lot of time yeah to learn so much like there's like you said so much to learn in medicine yeah it is not enough time at all that's why i think there's so many exams throughout medical school because Uh you're always learning more and they're always just Uh trying to evaluate your learning and keep up with that and that's why they have residency where you're technically not a full-fledged doctor earning your full potential and everything like that because there's still so much to learn and then even when you're a practicing physician there's always so much education that you have to underdo in learning like you have to do continuing professional development and get a certain number of credits so honestly if you're not a lifelong learner i feel like medicine would (laughs) be a really sad fate Mm. so so even after you're done school you like do these doctors have to read textbooks to prep for these like professional development things or is it like different types of learning yeah i mean i don't know textbooks necessarily but you definitely have to be up to date on i feel like the latest research Mm. i feel like most good preceptors that I've been with like love their specialty so much uh-huh. that they'll read the research oh. on the side and stay really up to date and I think that kind of just almost goes with you care for your patients so mm-hmm. much that you want yeah. the best for them that like you'll wow. take the time to you know put the extra work in wow. and find out how to best optimize their care yeah it's yeah. so interesting hearing how yeah I guess it seems like when you decide to go into med it's kind of like you're like signing an oath <laughs> to like join this like this, like the med community because I feel like as an engineering student even the stuff that we learn right now it doesn't like exactly map to the stuff that, that we do on the job mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm definitely not going to be as connected to like the engineering community after I graduate mm-hmm. as you might be to like McMaster for example yeah yeah it's so funny you said that the way that you said oath, like a Hippocratic <laughs> oath, that's so funny. Have you heard of Hippocratic oath before? No. Oh, it's like it's like do no harm. Like doctors like sign it at the end of their training. Oh. It's like a formalized oath oh. that you have to like swear by when you finish your training. It's like our iron ring. Yeah, yeah, it's literally iron ring ceremony. That's exactly uh-huh. like. Do you guys have an oath you have to do for that too? Yeah, oh. we have to like it's an ethics thing. That's why we we wear this ring as a reminder of this 
bridge that collapsed. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be like made from the steel from that bridge. The iron. Oh. Yeah, the iron from the bridge. And then every time we sign something, yeah. it's supposed to remind us okay. of our ethical obligations yeah. as an engineer. Oh my goodness. Because yeah. if we don't do our due diligence, it can have really bad impacts. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, you know, I always. Yeah, of course there would be meaning to the Iron Man. I didn't <laughs> think it was that deep. No, uh -huh. that's really good. See, this yeah. is really. I'm so glad that like ethics is kind of incorporated into like mm. every career field. I feel like that's really yeah. important. Yeah, it's okay. Our society can continue advancing <laughs> forward, as they say, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how much ethics in the curriculum does, but do you feel like the real world? Yeah. Do you feel like ethics case studies? And learning about ethics is a big part of med school. Mm, we literally have a class that we had to take for the entire first year that was like based on ethics. Mm. It was like called professional competencies and it was all about, you know, navigating, I guess, areas in medicine that are more social contexts mm -hmm. like racism in medicine, mm -hmm. environmental health, trauma-informed care for mm. people who are, you know, survivors of sexual assault sort of all of that area was really encompassed throughout that course. I think mm -hmm. ethics be extremely important in medical school, I guess, and honestly in other areas of life as well, for sure, other careers, mm -hmm. but yeah. Do you think, in your opinion, people in medical school have stronger moral values <laughs> than the average person? Oh, gosh. Or stronger uh, ethical guide principles they follow? Mm. So I'm just trying to think very question. carefully. <laughs> yeah, oh goodness. Hard question. I think that, you know, when it boils down to it, you have to be pretty ethical to be a doctor. Like, you should be ethically yeah. minded. Because <laughs> how else are you going to provide the best yeah. care for your patients if yeah. your interests are, you know, mm -hmm. not towards them? Yeah. Whether I think they're more than the average person, though. Hmm. Honestly, no. I don't <laughs> think that's necessarily mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. I actually don't think that at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess in a theoretical world, if everyone is ethical, then wow, we would have not that many problems anymore, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But no, I don't think that's always the case at all. I mean, it, honestly, like this isn't really talked about enough, but like think about like the number of doctors who get sort of professionalism and fractions and mm -hmm. make mistakes in that way and mm -hmm. sometimes even it goes as far as like losing licenses like mm -hmm. at the end of the day like people who go into medicine are humans too yeah. and that doesn't mean they're not gonna like screw up and yeah. make mistakes like that or yeah. even worse so which mm. is you know I feel like <laughs> not necessarily the most comforting thing because I mm -hmm. think society sometimes tends to put like doctors on a pedestal yeah, yeah. but I don't know. I think that type of thinking is kind of dangerous because at the end of the day, then it like idealizes them too much and yeah. then kind of also doesn't hold people accountable. Yeah. Like I think that we should hold people in medicine more accountable. I do think about that uh -huh. a lot. Yeah. Do you think because we put them on a pedestal that they have more leeway to get away in terms of accountability or how does accountability relate to what you were saying? I think it's more so that you know, so the physician-patient relationship, it's all about trust, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're not going to be able to go to your doctor if you don't trust them that they're providing the best care. But sometimes I think that, like, the average patient puts too much trust into their doctor. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the big thing that they focus on in medical school these days is shared decision making. Mm -hmm. It's where the patient and the doctor work together to come up with a solution. Oh. And I feel like kind of like the really best example I saw of that in my medical like training so far is where the doctor gave patients, like let's say a patient was interested in reading more, you know, like mm -hmm. we're so interested in like WebMD and everything these days. <laughs> so like if the doctor like gives the patient like valued like research, like evidence-based research, right? And the uh -huh. patient gets to read through it and becomes informed. And uh -huh. then they come back to the appointment and then together they make a decision. Oh. I think that's like medicine at its finest. Yeah. Interesting. But you know, I think that doesn't always yeah. necessarily end up happening. And I feel like that's not even a common concept that's really done uh -huh. these days because uh -huh. then through the day, it's just thought, okay, the doctor has more knowledge, so the doctor should make the decision. Mm. But I think more and more, there are like other experiences. Like we're seeing the effects of how like our social settings and how the context we grew up in has such an mm -hmm. impact on our health. Mm -hmm. And yeah. who knows people's context better than themselves, you know? Oh, so I, see. I guess accountability in the sense that people should also have more faith in their own abilities yeah. to make decisions, mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah.
This is kind of related, but not really, to the idea of like idealizing or putting doctors on a pedestal. But I feel like the way that doctors are portrayed in social media, typically I feel like people think of people who are like very type A, like very on top of things, very well organized, like very mature for their age. Do you think that reflects the demographic in med school? Hmm, that's a great question. Well, Carol, you know me. <laughs> you know I'm literally the opposite of that. So. I'm very mature. <laughs> so everything no else, nothing other Yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah. No, I'm probably one of the most chaotic people that I know. <laughs> and, um, you know, honestly, I feel like I've found some solace in the fact that there are other chaotically minded <laughs> people in medical school and in professions as well. And I think that sometimes to like go into medicine, you have to be a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they don't really show that side of things that much. Yeah. Um, are there the type A people? Of course, definitely. And I'm sure those people in medicine are doing very well right now mm-hmm. and successful. But what is the stereotype with type A? I think to me, it's like someone who likes having control over things. Ah, okay. Mm. Got it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there are definitely type A people in medicine, for sure. (laughs) I think that makes total sense. Is that the predominant number? Hmm. I think, you know what I think? I think it depends on which medical school you go to and ask. Because do you remember how I told you guys like that each medical school kind of looks for a different mm-hmm. type of person. Yeah. I think that in that sense, if you go to, like, one medical school, they're going to have a lot more type A people than another. See? That's interesting. Yeah. Like, mm. I feel like I we always used to think that U of T had a lot more type A people, oh. whereas McMaster, like, has the rep for being, like, the chill medical school. Oh. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> these are, of course, you know, stereotypes, uh-huh. whatever, whatever. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they still hold true actually because like now I feel like I know people at U of T and they're Mm -hmm. still you know yeah not necessarily super type A but I also don't think it's a bad thing to be type A sometimes I really do wish that I was more type A because I think I would have a better handle on life I think yeah yeah, we were just talking about how we both had a very similar like idea of a stereotypical like medical school person or someone who practiced medicine yeah and then we're just realizing the wide or the diversity Mm -hmm. in the types of people both like backgrounds but also like personality wise yeah yeah like even I think when I started like more recently when people I know from high school or like acquaintances started getting into med school like some of the people really surprised me because I was like oh like I never would have thought this person like because of their personality would want to go into med or would get into med school mm-hmm. so I was like oh that's like really interesting that yeah, yeah some of these people yeah. that I didn't that didn't fit uh-huh. that stereotype in my mm-hmm. mind are doing med school now yeah no yeah. that's so true mm-hmm. I think it's good I think yeah. at the end of the day you have to have like multiple different type of people in a field to mm-hmm. you know help advance it keep it moving forward and everything and yeah. Yeah, you know, I guess. But I, I think it's good, yeah, yeah, that it's more diverse than we think in our heads. Mm. Too. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. So I visited Sonia for her birthday party last year. Uh-huh. Um, and that was <laughs> um, one of the first times I got to meet a lot of her med school friends and undergrad friends and health sci. So we went to her birthday party and it was one of the wildest parties <laughs> I had ever experienced. <laughs> <Really>? Yes. <laughs> I realized that day how, I guess, I, and I want to ask this because I don't know if this is representative of all med school students slash people pursuing medicine, but yeah, I feel like it surprised me how much people liked to party and have fun outside <laughs> of medicine. And then that, that made me think like, maybe it is like a work hard, play hard lifestyle. Like, do you think they let go a lot during these moments because they need that sort of stress relief because school is so much like there's so much of it oh my gosh yeah I really think you like nailed it on the head when you said work hard play hard I think like the number of times I've heard people say that to me when they're like justifying (laughs) that yeah no I think what you saw at my birthday party was not like an abnormal experience what was wild about it or what was different I think there was just a lot of drinking Mm. like I don't know if it's because people in Waterloo also don't party really as tamed. much yeah, <laughs> compared to other universities. But that was like the closest that I, I was to like throwing up, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. I think it was still really fun. But I think it was just interesting seeing how all her friends were like uh-huh. downing these drinks and like, 
yeah, just really letting loose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I've seen that happen more than a few times. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, honestly, that's really just the way it is. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is, is that the medicine, I think there are, you know, especially maybe McMaster, we don't really have summer breaks because it's just three straight years. There are less sort of break periods that you have. Mm-hmm. And when you have it, I think people really just take advantage mm-hmm. of it. And then, like, like that's why people go on a lot of, like, I feel like spontaneous short trips. Like how I went to New York with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, or how people go really crazy at parties because after, <laughs> like, a test is done, it's like, oh, my goodness, finally yeah. time to release in that sense. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess that is not what society would typically see. Mm-hmm. But to me, I think that's very normal for mm-hmm. medicine. So that's interesting. Are there any other you think unexpected realities of being a med school student that most people don't know of? Mm. Oh, I think that people aren't studying 24 seven. Like, I really don't think that's the case at all. And honestly, like, I feel like that really did not describe me in pre-clerkship either. Mm -hmm. Looking back on pre-clerkship experience, I think for sure, like there was a lot of like learning that occurred, Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of it was also people understanding that clerkship the phase we're in now was going to be a lot more stressful Mm -hmm. so it was time to sort of like make the most of Um, that time now mm -hmm. the way i kind of think (laughs) about it is that you know like Mm -hmm. a fair number of people who like are going into medical school you know they've been continuing school straight for years and years Mm -hmm. they've never like had a break from it never like a formal gap year Mm -hmm. so sometimes i feel like pre-clerkship was almost like a bit of an odd pseudo gap year in a way like of course you're still in school studying but it's just more so that the stakes are not as crazy high because at the end of the Mm. day you've already gone into medical school Mm, yeah and you have the time to learn especially you know when you're on the wards and learning Mm. the content Mm -hmm. then like yeah of course having a solid knowledge base is important but studying 24 7 isn't a good idea either Mm. because then you're literally gonna burn out before Mm -hmm. you start the clinical placement so Mm -hmm. yeah I think that was something that surprised me I think when I was going into medical school I thought it would just be studying all day every day but Mm -hmm. that's definitely not the case people learn to figure out balance and yeah it's a constant focus these days so that's maybe like a positive shift yeah so the workload was not as bad as you expected no it wasn't Mm. yeah would you say it was still like a lot more than undergrad or was it comparable or less so in pre-clerkship i would say it was probably comparable probably similar i think Mm. now though it's just a lot more i think i think Mm -hmm. clerkship it's just a lot because like recently like i was on internal medicine for example and then on that rotation every four shifts you have to work a 24-hour shift Mm -hmm. and that's very different because you know suddenly like your schedules are all messed up and you're like Mm -hmm. sleeping during the day Mm -hmm. and then on top of all that you're sort of kind of keeping in mind that you have to write an exam at the end of the four weeks so when you come home you can't always Mm -hmm. like fully relax and just do Uh nothing you have to be ready to study too so I think it's very different then but Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. the work-life balance though is important I'm sure you both experienced that as well Mm -hmm. so we're trying to navigate it figure it out yeah would you say that a lot of the doctors you talk to during these clerkships, like, what do they say about work-life balance? Or have you asked them about it? Like, after med school's done, how, how do you think work-life balance will be? Yeah, I, I do try to ask them that a lot because I always try to see myself and yeah. how I will fit into it. Mm-hmm. And then I think about how it's hard because I think that I would want a family. I think a lot of people want that. But I think it's sort of grappling with the idea that I may not necessarily be able to be there for my kids as much as, say, my parents were there for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that all of us kind of go through, whether, whether you're in medicine or not. Like, mm-hmm. if you're someone, you know, going after, like, a high-achieving job, then, mm-hmm. like, I'm sure you both have thought this, too. So when talking, I guess, to these physicians, a lot of the time they say how it's hard for them to balance. Mm-hmm and how they have to sacrifice a lot. Even in Mm -hmm. our interviews for medical school, sometimes the scenarios would be stuff like, oh, you're a physician and you're running late to your daughter's birthday party and a patient comes in and they urgently need to see you in the next 10 minutes. Like, what do you do? Like, things like that. They're already trying to get you to think like that, like Mm -hmm. choosing one or the other. What are you supposed to say during those questions? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time, like, the answer was just, oh, if it's a non-urgent concern, then tell the patient you will see them, mm-hmm. you know, tomorrow or the next day. 
if it's urgent and there's like another physician who can see them refer them to them mm. or if it's urgent and you need to then you just need to be late for your daughter's yeah. birthday so mm. at least i guess it's good like theoretically the questions you're supposed to focus on your yeah. kid's birthday yeah. but that's also very wow. theoretical and not in practice like the number yeah. of times like i've been with the physician who's like who said oh i need to like finish up my clinic at this time today so i can go like run and pick up my kid from this event and then we like end up running like a few minutes or longer late Uh like that's happened quite a few times Mm -hmm. but also i have a lot of respect for the ones who just will end the day off and be like we're done here like Mm -hmm. i need to go prioritize my own personal life too because at the end of the day like these doctors are also humans they they deserve their lives but it's hard i think it's getting better though Mm -hmm. i think the work-life balance is definitely better than it was probably like 20 years ago and Mm -hmm. i think in our generation it'll keep getting better too is what i'm hoping Uh yeah i'm just thinking about how different it is like the consequences of in me and carol's field of working overtime it's like if we really need to release a feature or something for Mm -hmm. for this app like no no one's like health or yeah. wellness or life is depending on whether or not we work overtime mm-hmm. it's purely for business reasons yeah but so it's like so much easier to draw the line and be mm-hmm. like okay i'm gonna go home now like but this yeah. can wait till tomorrow mm-hmm. but whereas being a doctor you're really balancing like yeah your own personal life with, with someone's someone yeah else's someone life. else's yeah. yeah it must be a lot harder to draw that line and like not feel I guess conflicted in, mm-hmm. internally about it. Yeah. yeah, no, that's so true. I yeah. still wonder about yeah. what that future is gonna be like all the time. Uh-huh. And yeah, I think it's yeah. definitely one of the challenges for yeah. sure. Yeah, I feel like thinking about that more. It seems like doctors probably have a very like emotionally tiring job as well. In times like if, for example, I remember you're mentioning when you're doing your internal medicine rotation how you were working with a lot of patients that were older Mm. and dealing with like the consequences of let's say this person you know this person only has like x amount of weeks to live like not i guess feeling too sad or drawn or tied to that and still being able to do your job i guess like not being too emotionally attached to patients or like thinking very like critically in moments where like your emotions might come up like do you feel like you've been desensitized Mm. to stuff yeah no I totally got what you mean I think that I am honestly becoming desensitized bit by bit not very much I think Mm -hmm. it's all still it's very like novel Mm -hmm. everything is so new and it hasn't like lost its shine yet or its glimmer Mm -hmm. I think as time goes on it does and then you become more desensitized Mm -hmm. but I guess in terms of the emotional detachment I'm really still working on it like I remember yeah when I was on internal medicine and I was caring for Mm -hmm. like you know one of the patients I saw regularly and you know they were close to end of life at this point Mm -hmm. Uh, but they were not one of my patients who necessarily seemed like they were ready for that Mm -hmm. and I remember like when I would come in in the morning and you know they would have had an episode like the night before where they were throwing up blood Mm -hmm. or like they would have an episode where they had went unconscious and it almost seemed like they were about to pass away because the nurses were like doing sternal rubs on them which is like basically like this like maneuver to kind of wake someone up and really see whether they're alive Mm -hmm. or not Mm -hmm. and they're having trouble with that and that was really hard for me like I think the days where like my that patient was not doing well were really bad days for me and that was kind of what determined whether or not I had a good day Mm. and I think that was kind of the first time I've experienced something like that because I feel like other than that a lot of the time you're in control of whether or not you have a good day I mean of Mm -hmm. course there are external factors but when one person's well-being Mm -hmm. was directly impacting like how I felt I think that's something I really need to work on Mm. still like I think I'm really quite weak in that area and I'm hoping it'll get better as time goes on but but then also, like, on my other hand, like, I don't want to, like, lose that, like, empathy and that yeah, feeling. Yeah. Like, I don't want to become desensitized, yeah. you know? So, I don't know. Yeah, hard That's something balance. really mm-hmm. hard to grapple with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. I remember for most of elementary school, my mom really wanted me to go into med school, too, or, like, become a doctor, like most other Asian parents. <laughs> but then in high school... My mom, and now in undergrad, she says how, like, she's glad that I'm not in it because she's, Mm -hmm. like, she feels like I wouldn't, it wouldn't be suitable for me because I feel like I get emotionally attached to people very easily. Mm. And I feel like, yeah, I wouldn't be able to have a clear mind in moments like that where 
like if let's say there's a patient that I've been working with for a while is like on their deathbed like I don't know if I'd be mm-hmm. able to critically assess them and like mm-hmm. do my job properly and not let my emotions sort of like get in the way take rise yeah so yeah that's something very hard I think that doctors have to deal with that like not a lot of occupations have to experience yeah no I think it's definitely quite unique to healthcare providers in general but also something like I'm realizing is that I think that anyone can do this I think that anyone could be a doctor if they really want to be. And I know that kind of sounds crazy, but I really think that people are so much stronger than you think and that, you know, resilience is, like, such a big thing. No, I think that, like, very often. Like, I think that, you know, yeah, there are parts of medicine that are hard, but there are parts of your careers that are very difficult as well. You know, I know, yeah. I know it doesn't Diff- seem like the same, uh-huh. but I think that a lot of the time, like, you develop the emotional reactility or, like, the ability mm. to cope to the level that you mm. need to, to, like, that extent. That makes sense. sense. Like, yeah. you know, people go through, like, very adverse circumstances yeah. and are able to get through it. Yeah. I feel like what's tricky, though, is that, do you think that being, like, you were saying how you don't want to become desensitized, like... Mm there still needs to be a certain level of like care and attachment in a way for you to like I guess it's being a doctor you like there's a lot that you're sacrificing or like a lot of selflessness that's needed because you want to in a way still care a lot that way you like are dedicating like the most amount of like I don't know your effort or energy towards caring for them but then at the same time you also can't like be too emotionally attached Mm -hmm. like if you're like completely desensitized right you might just not care about your like not really care about your patients like you're just there to do your job Mm -hmm. and like get it done with Mm -hmm. but then yeah if you care a lot that might make you a better doctor but at the same time it's harder on yourself yeah emotionally taxing exactly yeah Yeah, that's a very it's a very hard balance to strike and I think you're right I think that honestly at the point where Like, what we've been told is that as soon as you, you know, stop feeling like you're necessarily, like, caring for your patients or, like, you know, you've really lost any sort of, like, emotional attachment or care, Mm -hmm. like, that's the biggest sign of burnout in medicine. And as soon Mm -hmm. as that happens, like, you're supposed to, like, take a step back and just, Um, like, reevaluate. Like, that's uh what I feel like they've kind of been, like, periodically drilling into our heads through the talks that we've heard about burnout. Uh So... I think it's inevitable, though. I think desensitization mm-hmm. will happen to mm-hmm. some extent or another, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just sort of a reality that has to be coped with, yeah. yeah. Is burnout something that's really common in people's careers in medicine? Yeah, no, it's incredibly common. I think a lot more light was shed on it during the pandemic, mm-hmm. which I think was really important. Like, honestly, like amongst all healthcare workers, mm-hmm. yeah. all allied health professions, you really sort of see the work that goes into it. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, COVID is still here, but now yeah. quarantine is ended and we're kind of going back to our day to day. I think that that's like faded from a lot of people's minds, which is totally understandable. But I think the burnout is still there. If anything, it's even more. Like, I don't know if... Have you been hearing about how, like, there's emergency rooms have been in gridlock and stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, basically, like, they're unable to operate because they're at full capacity and that there are some Mm -hmm. emergency rooms that up in, like, northern Ontario Mm -hmm. that have been shut down for, like, 180 days of the year because of how hot capacity they are. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, really just showing how healthcare workers are truly being Mm -hmm. worked to the bone and how, Mm -hmm. honestly, you can be worked to the bone and still there are people left out from the circle of care. Mm -hmm. And that is really, I think, a hard thing to cope Mm -hmm. with. Do you feel like policy is, like, or do you think the government has a responsibility in that too, like allowing more clinics to open? Yeah, absolutely. I think government is probably like one of the most important determinations of mm-hmm. how healthcare system functions. And I think, you know, a lot of people like they look from the outside and it's like Canada has like a really good universal healthcare system. It's excellent. Yeah. But then there are so many flaws in the middle, like how we don't have universal pharmacare or how you like you said, like we don't have necessarily like enough clinics to provide care. We mm-hmm. don't have like enough providers. There mm-hmm. are so many deficits as well and how, you know, it might even pave the way to, like, sort of a 
two-tier system is kind of what they're calling it now so basically between like private and public health care so oh. public being you know like it's for everyone and private being mm-hmm. if you pay the fee you're gonna get it like a good example of it I always think of is COVID testing mm-hmm. how COVID testing was supposed to be publicly available to everyone like if you were COVID sick Mm-hmm. you sign up on the same list as somebody else like in the depths of the pandemic mm-hmm. and you get your COVID test at the same time mm-hmm. which was important because a lot of the time people were like let's say working in factories working mm-hmm. maybe more like blue collar work mm-hmm. and then they needed that money to sort of you know sustain themselves but the problem was that suddenly these private companies started popping up and they were like oh we're offering expedited COVID testing mm-hmm. at a premium oh. price and if you could pay that premium price, like let's say a bunch of like government workers, like MPs and stuff, were paying that premium price to be able to go into office, for example, yeah. and enter work faster. It's things like that that are very concerning and are very government-driven as well, mm. based on the policies that are mm-hmm. allowed and disallowed. And of course, it's like idealistic to think that everything's going to be perfect, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like some places are more model healthcare systems than others. Mm-hmm. I think like they call them like comparator jurisdictions and stuff like places, the countries that are doing better or doing similarly, they like operate similarly mm-hmm. and how, whether they're doing better or not. But yeah, I think for sure government has a big role, unfortunately, or fortunately, however <laughs> end of the way you're on. So after having, I guess, been in med school for two years, done a bunch of different like clinical electives and also clerk clerkmanship do you know what you want to specialize in i think if i had to choose like sort of right now what i'm aiming more towards i think it's either more so going family practice Mm -hmm. and then specializing in addictions because i think to me like that's really interesting in an area that's so needed Mm -hmm. like the population of people who use drugs right now and how many other comorbid social circumstances that they're going through like a lot of the time they're also people who are unhoused or like having a mental illness so Mm -hmm. i think that population is incredibly important to care for and then Mm -hmm. also psychiatry i'm really loving that right now Mm -hmm. i think just seeing the way that the brain works and how much medication can change people's lives mm. for the better as well i think mm-hmm. a lot of the time we see of course psychiatric medications not working necessarily to the fullest potential but mm-hmm. there's also just so much work that's being done in the field and so much emerging as well mm. that it like brings me a lot of hope mm-hmm. seeing how like mental health is like suicide is literally an epidemic right now mm-hmm. that we're seeing and how psychiatrists are doing so much excellent work towards mm-hmm. helping our youth, our adults, etc. So mm-hmm. I think those areas are really interesting right now and focus on helping important populations. Oh. Yeah. Sounds like you're going to be doing a lot of really impactful <laughs> work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully, yeah. You know, like I feel like getting into medical school is like something that's, it was like my dream and I mm-hmm. feel like it's also a lot of other people's dreams too. Yeah. And, I have to like acknowledge that there's so much luck in the process and like being in this position, I can like do something good. Wow. I'm really glad that you're someone who will be one of our future doctors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like it's always really inspirational hearing you talk about the work that you do and like Mm -hmm. why you're in medicine. Like I said before, I feel like you just have so much like good intention and you want to create so much positive change yeah very admirable yeah I feel like that's what I mean I guess in the beginning when I was saying like I found her very admirable in high Mm -hmm. school like I feel like the things that you wanted to achieve in life haven't really changed since Mm -hmm. then it's kind of yeah it's all uh, like centered on helping other people yeah Um, yeah thank you so much for sharing your journey and your story and just so many interesting things that we had no idea about in terms of what it's like to be a med student what the healthcare field is like Mm -hmm. so i'm sure people listening to this will learn something new or interesting and yeah thank you so much thank you bye (laughs) thank you for listening to today's episode subscribe to this podcast on spotify apple podcasts and google podcasts new episodes will be coming out bi-weekly on mondays Follow us on Instagram at Hello Real World Podcast and on Twitter at Hello Real World underscore to stay updated. If you have any comments like feedback, topic requests, or anything else, you can leave it in the Google form found in our link tree. Bye! Bye.